Hey everyone, we are back March 9th, fresh content, new interviews. It's going to be great stuff. I hope that it blesses you. Uh, season three of Leadership Lessons Podcast is coming. That's right, we've been on season break, but we're getting back into it with season three with all new content that will encourage and equip you as a church leader. But until then, I wanted to give you some content to just encourage you and uh, sort of uh, encourage you to take some rest. We've been on season break and it's important to, to live in seasons to to work hard but also to rest and uh, the Bible has given us this thing called Sabbath uh, to enjoy God's grace and so I recently did a uh, about a year ago a series on the rhythms of God's grace and taking just three messages I wanted to share with you until uh, the three weeks we launch all new episodes of this podcast um, just talking about uh, the Sabbath and taking time off and resting in seasons and how we are to enjoy God's grace so I'm excited to be back with you back in the office back to learning back to pouring into you it is going to be amazing this is a message on the sabbath called a restful rule god bless you guys we will see you soon you're listening to the redemption church podcast with pastor daniel williams as we go through a series called rhythms of grace Good morning, everyone. How you feeling? Hey, again, I'm Daniel. So blessed to be able to pastor here and teach you God's word. And uh, got back from a conference this week and just so pumped to hear all that God is doing in our community, but also in our state, in our region, and even in the United States. Uh, God is doing great things. And I know so, so often it's so easy for us to, to just look at our, our, our news feed or our Facebook feed or Instagram and just have our own little world. Uh, but God is the lover of all people and doing great things. And um, in the midst of this darkness, there is light. There is hope. I hope that you would understand when you come here in the midst of even your pain, your sorrow, your hope, uh, that there is hope, there is love, and God is alive. Uh, he's a resurrected king, and he's doing great work changing people's lives. And so I'm all like fired up and stuff, you know, being around all these testimonies and hearing how God is working. And, and it's just so blessed to be able to come back to, um, to be encouraged just to continue to do the things God's called us to do, to pursue and proclaim Jesus, just how wonderful this church family is, and just been loving this season of talking about grace at our church. Uh, we're doing a series called Rhythms of Grace. Rhythms of Grace. Um, and because sometimes we know that God is a giver, a giver of all good gifts. We sing that song, you are good, you are good, yes. But sometimes it's hard to see God's goodness in our lives. It's hard to see God's goodness in this world. And so we have to train ourselves to look for God, to seek God, to pursue God. Uh, yes, we understand that family is a gift from God, it's grace. That's, that's easy, okay? We have a great job. Oh, praise you, Lord, that's awesome. But what about the things that we may not be trained to look at? How are we seeing our world and with this reality that God is a gracious God, that he's a good God? Yes, on a sunny day, it's really easy to say praise the Lord, but what happens when we're going through a valley? What happens when we're going and having some, some downtime and, and things aren't going the way that we expected? Is God truly good? Is there grace, an unmerited favor, gift to us in the midst of that season? The Bible would say, Jesus would say, yes. Yes, there is. Uh, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And so we looked at this series just going the foundation of who God is. God is gracious. He, he's a lover of, of all men. He, he's kind. He's great. He's magnificent. He's incredible. And that's why we go to God's word to study his word because all the scripture points to Jesus, points to him. And, but the way that we receive grace is through humility. God opposes the problem, gives grace to the humble. And so we looked at, well, how, how does that all work? Well, in our everyday life, God wants to give us grace. And you know what most of us do? We all work. Whether we get paid or not paid, there's some chores to be done. We need to eat some food. And so we have to work. And God actually has given us gifts, talents, abilities, skill to go and use that to bring him glory. So we can actually work as worship. And not only that, God is so incredible. He strategically places us in this generation, in this time, in this moment to go here, to go there, to not only receive God's grace using our gifts and ability, but to give God's grace to other people. Have you ever thought about this? You guys are full-time missionaries being paid by your employer. That's what the word of God says, that God actually not only pours his grace upon you with gifts and abilities, but he actually uses you and you're to be light, salt, and give grace to other people in a dark place. And so if we're dealing with, with work, then, then we're going to deal with some money. 
And, and so we talked about, well, well, what about the grace of tithing? So that way we can give to God first and honor him so that way money doesn't, doesn't catch our hearts. And, and, and we have all this money and what are we to do with it? And we're to be stewards of God's grace, that he's given us resources and he blesses us and it's okay to have finances. But how do we worship God with finances? Because remember, the appropriate response to grace is always worship. And so you may have a good thing in your life, and that, that's great. And so you say, thank you, Lord, praise you. But then how do I use that grace to then pour grace into other people? And so we're just going down this journey of looking at things. And today, what I want to talk to you about is Sabbath, a 24-hour period to enjoy, delight, and rest in God, in his grace, to trust that he is king, that he is Lord. And, and what does that look like? And so if you have a Bible, turn to Exodus if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand right now. We have an usher right now. We'll give, start handing out Bibles. And uh, over here, over there, just keep it up, and we'll just keep on giving you a Bible. We have plenty. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take it home with you. It's our gift to you. It's absolutely free. We're going to keep on passing them out. We'll get some more. It's on page 61 in a Bible we gave you. It's Exodus, the second book of the Bible. Uh, we'll see you. We'll get you a couple Bibles over here. Uh, there's Genesis and then Exodus, so it's only page 61, so it's, it's real close in the beginning. Uh, and that's what we're going to look at today, thinking about this, this idea of rest, of grace, of being a human. We're not just doing, we're beings, we're human beings in the Sabbath, and what, why did God set this all up? Uh, but before we go into Exodus, you know, following Jesus is amazing, and it should bless your life. And... Um, Jesus said these words, an, an invitation to us as we look to Exodus, an invitation to us. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, and 20, uh, 28 through 30, he just says this. His teaching is beautiful. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God himself humbled himself because he loved us. He came down in human form, lived a life that you and I couldn't live so that way we can have a relationship with him. And he started teaching and proving himself, doing miracles and teaching all the way. And, and as he was getting all this attention, he would have these amazing teachings in this life. And he would teach us these eternal truths. And in these eternal truths, there wouldn't just be teachings like doctrines, rules, but they would be invitations to relationship. And this is one of those invitations to relationship. He would say to some of his disciples, just like, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Transform your life. Here he says, hey, hey, come to me. Take my yoke. My, my burden is light. He gives an invitation to those that would want to follow him. And this requires for us to be close to him. Now, I, it has to be said, he's not talking about a yoke like a runny egg. Right? It's sort of funny in the text. He's like, oh, my yoke is easy. Wait, over easy? What? What are you talking about? Like sometimes, remember what we're talking about. We, we don't live in that day, but back in the day, it was very agricultural. A yoke would be something you put across an animal to do the labor. So, you know, like you would have like two straps, a yoke, and they would go and dig the ground and, and the animal would do the work. And because of this, this thing, you would just follow the ox or the, the donkey or the animal and, and it would do the labor for you. And what, that's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, I've done all the heavy lifting. I've done something that you cannot do. Walk in righteousness. Do justly. Just uh, have lived a life that has been perfect. But I want you to stay close to me. Take my yoke. Follow me. Stick with me. It's an invitation to be close. It's a beautiful thing. He tells his disciples to abide and to trust in the work he's already done on the cross. Because on the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. The Father put all of our sins... On Jesus. He's a propitiation. God's wrath was appeased on Jesus on the cross. And three days later, he not only died, but he rose again, proving that he could take the weight of your sin, that he can forgive us, that he can give us hope. And so this invitation is not one of a legalistic rule, but it's one of relationship. Hey, come follow me. I've done all the work. I'm going to do that, but you need to stay close. Put your strap, put yoke on me. Walk with me. Enjoy me. Delight in me. Have a relationship with me. But having a relationship with God and following him isn't always easy, is it? 
I mean, it's easy because we get our salvation through faith, but it's hard because it still takes faith. So like when he tells us a rule like love someone, we know that's probably the best thing for us. But it's still hard to actually love people, isn't it? When he says like forgive someone, well, that's probably the easiest thing. That, that's the best path that we can go upon. But it's still a hard one. When he says things like we looked at like tithing or fasting or doing justice, taking care of the poor, or just simply the Great Commission, making disciples. This reality is hard, but it is worth it. Because God gives us rules, commands, precepts to actually bless our life. He gives us invitations and rules and guidelines to bless us that when we follow him, we'll be blessed. You know, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter of the Bible. Tons of verses up in there, and it's all about one thing, the word of God about rules, precepts, law, what God would say to us when he speaks. And in this psalm, it would tell us over and over again that we are blessed when we follow God's ways. In verse 56 of this Psalm 119, it says, the blessings have fallen me, the psalmist says, that I have kept your precepts. He's saying, when I, when I keep your ways, when I do follow you, even though it's sort of dying to my flesh and maybe, maybe not exactly what I want, you know what? I've learned that I'm actually blessed. He goes on in verse 93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. And Jesus came, came on the scene and even said in John 13, 17, if you know these truths, this law, these precepts, my teachings, blessed are you if you do them. And see, through the work of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, when we put our faith in him, he not only gives us a whole bunch of rules, but he gives us himself. For now the Holy Spirit lives in us and we're empowered to walk in his ways. He gives us new desires. And so he doesn't just give us rules to, to cause us to have a weight, a burden. He gives us these rules so that we could be close and invitation. I wrote this down. I thought this is an important point before we look at our text. God gives us rules to bless us, not to burden us. This for some of us is hard to think because we, we, we thrive in disorder we don't like rules. We're just, if there's a rule, I'm going to cross it just because it's a rule. That's how some of us are, you rebellion people, right? That, that's what it is. Iniquity is like a transgression. You see the line and you cross it. Why'd you cross it? Because there was a line, man. Got to go outside the line, man. You can't hold me down. But the reality is rules actually help us. I remember the first time I actually experientially for sure understood this. When I first came, went into the ministry, I went on staff and I was taking 77 people overseas in the mission trip to Lima, Peru. Robin was a missionary there as well. It's an incredible state. There's, God's doing great work. And we were going over there and, and I had a band and doing all this different stuff. But I remember, oh my gosh, the fear that came into my life, the scariness, being on the road in Lima. Robin could testify. The rules are crazy there. There ain't, like you would think, because like you would think, there are lanes. So that you stay in the lanes? Not there. No, no, they just, whoosh. hey, let's have three million people drive at one time and just hit each other just for fun. Okay, that's, that's their rule. It was chaotic, it was crazy, and I learned, you know what? I'm so glad when I come in the States, there's a red light. We just all stop. This is incredible. This is amazing. Some of us, we, we think, oh, these boundaries are well, they're actually good. They're guidelines, sort of like guardrails and a, and a ledge of a mountain. It's good that they're there because when we get closer, we get hit and we go off the path. Rather than going off the cliff, it's like a warning. Hey, this is actually the better life. And God gives us a lot of freedom, but he does put some things in place to say, hey, I know that you think it's better to gossip, but I would say speak words of life and encouragement over that person. Because if you actually gossip and have that bitterness in your heart, it will actually derail your life and you'll fall off a cliff. It will ruin you. But no, I just want to be free. Free to what? To fall off a cliff? No, God actually gives us these rules, his law to bless us, not to burden us. And now following God's ways is actually, we're able to do that with the power of the Holy Spirit. He does it because he loves us. 1 John 4, 9 says, we love because he first loved us. And Jesus told us, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. See, with the power of the Holy Spirit in a relationship with God, we desire to follow his rules, not for salvation, but because of salvation. 
We get saved and we desire because we honor and worship and love God to just give, us, give him our lives. And practically when we obey him, it's saying, Lord, we trust you. We believe your ways are greater than ours. We're gonna surrender and submit to you and honor you in these things. And let me just tell you, love changes everything. Love absolutely changes everything. Like today, today I was super excited to get to church. But you may or may not know this. You may know this in about 30 minutes at 11 o'clock when someone comes in late. Today is daylight savings. So y'all lost to sleep? You lost an hour? Some of you are, are feeling it more than others, right? <laughs> uh, we, we lost an hour of sleep today. But you know what? I just sprung out of bed. Why? Because I love you guys. Because I want to be with you. Because it's not a burden to teach you the Bible, to lead, to worship God together. This is incredible. So I didn't think, oh man, this is terrible. I hate going to church. I thought, man, we get to go to church today. That's the difference between love, a have to and a get to. We get to follow God. Because guess what? We'll never follow God perfectly, but he doesn't love us because we follow him perfectly. He loves us despite our imperfections. He loves us because who we are. He's a God of love. And so are you perfect? Am I perfect? Absolutely not. But we still walk in repentance and desire to obey. And even the apostle Paul in Romans 7 was like, listen, I'm never going to be perfect, but I have this heart, this desire, this inclination. And we can walk in repentance, which actually means a dependence on God. Jesus is giving us this invitation. Hey, will you abide? Will you trust? Will you come? Will you repent? This invitation is grace. It's grace. And so what I want you to see today is Sabbath is a beautiful invitation from Jesus. The Sabbath is a beautiful invitation from Jesus. I want you to see the Sabbath is a restful rule. It's a restful rule. Something commanded by God for our good that we are able to thrive. Now I ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're gonna read it as we always do a section of scripture, pray, study it. Even though I already gave you a little bit, half of my Bible study right there. I mean, come on, that was good. We could just close in prayer, but... I'm trying to get to the Sabbath. I'm trying to teach you something so you can see it in a different way, so you can recognize it, so you can practice it, so you can be blessed. Remember, when we come to God's word, we're looking the character of who God is, but we're also looking to apply his scripture. And so even as we talk about the Sabbath, what does that look like for you to practice that, to ask questions? How do I apply this? Jesus, help me to worship you through this. And so let's read this uh, together. I'll have the words on the screen. You have your Bibles Uh, We'll read all of the sections. It's a long scripture, but I think it's important to read the section. You'll know why, and then we'll study it together. Starting in verse 1 of chapter uh, 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, this is God speaking to Moses through the people, to the nation of Israel. They just left Israel. Egypt is slaves, and so he's, he's instilling these, ru- these rules, these laws, and he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make yourself a carved image or anything like, uh, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. Pretty good rule. Hey, worship me alone. Uh, Verse six, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember it to keep it holy. Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, uh, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is with you in your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male servant, or female servant, or ox, or donkey, or anything that is 
your neighbors. I know it's a lot of scripture, but let's pray. Let's ask God to speak to us. Jesus, we thank you so much. We can continually study your word. We know, Lord, that when you speak, you bring forth life, and you were speaking to the Israelites in this moment, but you're also speaking to us. Jesus, you're here in our midst. We believe that. We want to worship you with our mind. So we pray, God, that we would worship you as we study your word. We need help in that sometimes. But we know that it's an honor and a joy to look to you. So help us to look to you, Lord. Teach us about the Sabbath. Help us, Lord, to respond to this beautiful invitation that we could find rest in you. We trust, Lord, that you are God, that you're going to meet us and every one of us in this place. And we pray that you be glorified as we study your word together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's get some context. Context to understand where this scripture is saying, who's saying it, all that different stuff. This is commonly known as the Ten Commandments. You may or may have, heard, may have not heard of them. This is God speaking to the people of Israel through Moses. Now, when God speaks, it's powerful and it brings forth life. Uh, he's giving direction and commands to his people, this nation. His people, Israel, needed directions. They needed laws. They needed commands to guide them as a nation because they had just been delivered from the nation of Egypt. They were slaves. And they were slaves there for 400 years. But that's why the book is called Exodus because they exited that season of life, that situation, the, their masters being um, driven by e Egyptians. And they were, God was leading them to a new land, the promised land. And so God was going to establish them, give them rules and order so that way they could be guided in this new life. And they had been slaves for 400 years. Can you imagine that? A way of life. So it wouldn't just be them. It would be their, their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents. They may have heard about these. They may have heard about these founding fathers, but it wasn't really a reality to them. It's really hard for us to grasp this, but this was a part of God's plan. He actually prophesied that the nation of Israel, Abraham would start, the father of the faith, that they actually would be enslaved for 400 years. If you look at the prophecy in Genesis chapter 15, the first book of the Bible, when the nation of Israel is getting set up, God is going to pick out Abraham, not because he's great, just because he's a no one, but he trusts God. And so he makes a covenant with Abraham. In chapter 15, verse 13 through 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Now, for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Many people don't even know this is a prophecy in the Bible. They, don't, they just forget about it. They skip over that verse. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And remember, whatever God says is true, and that's exactly what happened. Moses said, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. Ten times, and God was able to display these miraculous miracles, his power to display who he was. And he oftentimes does this. Our God is not just a God of talk, but of power, and he displays his power and manifests himself to prove to people that he is God. Now you may say, well, why would God have his, his people? He made a covenant with Israel. His people suffer for 400 years. And here's the great news, because he's a God of love what? That's right. Our God is a God of love. So he allowed his people. He knew it was coming and he prepared him and walked with them through their suffering. You see, our God not only loves his people, but he loves all people. He loves the wicked, the unrighteous, the people that oppose him, his enemies. While we were still enemies of him, he died for us, the Bible says. And there was this group of people, the Amorites, the Canaanites, these, they, 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 they worshiped these false gods and they did very wicked and evil things, sacrificing their children and, and worshiping just in, in perverted sexual ways. But God still loved them. He still cared about them. And this is one of the reasons why he chose the nation of Israel was to bless the nations, to show other people that they will be satisfied in the true and living God. Not to worship for themselves, not to worship for these idols, but he was going to actually pick a nation and say, I'm going to have my favor, my grace with you, follow my ways, and the whole world will see that following my ways is reality. It's the best thing for, for them. Genesis 22, 17, and 18, this is the covenant that God gave to Israel. I surely will bless you. And I, surely, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. There's a great command when we follow God, we're blessed. People will be able to see that blessing. 
But God knew his blessing would also include judgment. It would include blessing for Israel, but judgment from the Amorites, the Canaanites, the promised land. They would take captivity. It was an actual land, and they would conquer that land. And so God in his patience would withhold that judgment on another people to display his love and grace to you and I. The Israelites would be blessed by land, but the other people would be judged. See, because in Genesis 15, he goes on and he says, on that day, when they go into the promised land, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying to your offspring, I will give you this land, the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates to the land of Canaanites and Kizzites and Kadamites and Hittites and Parasites and all this other ites. Um, it's funny because you just make up words when there's so many ites. It's literally the Canaanites, the Gasherites, the Jebedites, the verses 18 through 20. He's saying you're going to conquer this people and that people and this people and this people and that people. People. People that God loves. And so rather than them just going in and taking the land, he said, but I'm going to have to withhold my judgment for 400 years because I'm a God of love and I want to give grace to everyone. And so too it is with us even now. This is why his people... God's people, Christians, suffer today. This is why evil is happening, because God is gracious. Peter would tell us, 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. God will return. Heaven is real. His kingdom will be established. But he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on them will be exposed. Our great victory will be the enemy's defeat. The only problem is some of God's enemies right now are people and God loves people. And so he is slow and he is patient. And so he allows us to be in this evil time right now, but yet he gives us his law. He gives us his word so people can be drawn to his grace and see, wow, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's the favor of God in their life. And he, and he woos men's hearts to respond and gives an invitation. It's grace. It's beautiful grace. And so now the Lord is giving these commands to this new nation that was about to take the land. He wanted to give them law, order, rules, and this was for their good. You see, God's law is good and it blesses us. We have to get this, especially even as being Christians under the covenant of grace. What do I mean by that? Well, we're saved by grace through faith. We're not saved because of all the good stuff we do. By obeying God, we're saved by faith, trusting that he did a lot of good stuff. Our good cannot outweigh our bad. This is not a scale system to get a relationship with God to get into heaven. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. See, the law is good and holy, but the law shows us good and perfection. And the Bible says we are not perfect people. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned, and the wage of sin is death. But this gift, this grace of God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul would actually write a whole book to the church saying, hey, you have to understand what works play and, and, and what these rules mean to you as Christians. Don't be fooled into going back and trusting in rules. You trust in God and understand that he's given you rules because he loves you. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified. It means to declare being declared righteous by works, by doing a whole bunch of good stuff. But through faith in Jesus Christ is how we're saved. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, there is no justification. He would go on in the next chapter and say, so then this law, these rules, these commandments, they're actually our guardian, our tutor. They're like a mirror. They're showing us perfection and where we actually fall short until Christ came in order so that we might be justified, declared right before God by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under these rules, these regulations, these guardians for good works. No, for in Christ Jesus, you all are sons of God through faith. This is why we have the law. It's to point us to Jesus, to show us that there is a need. Paul would say in that struggle to do good and not do it in chapter 7 of Romans, you, you know, that the law is good and holy, but it just reveals my weakness. 
Before I had this rule, I didn't even know that was a sin. But now that I have it, I can clearly see that I'm guilty and I need a Savior. But praise be to God, for Jesus is our Savior. He has died for all sin. He did rise again. And so we can have justification, righteousness in him. For he, the Father, made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so we are set free. We are saved by taking hold of the promises. For all the promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And when we say yes to God's promise, his invitation, we are saved. That is the greatest work. Some people asked Jesus on the scene when he was teaching this, well, what, do I, what must I do for eternal life? What is this great work? And he said, what you need to do is believe on whom the Father has sent. What he's saying is you need to have faith, for it's impossible to please God without faith. Do you trust in Jesus or not? That is how we get into heaven. That is how we have our life. That's how we have relationship. That's how we have salvation. And this is so hard to follow. Romans seven twelve says, so the law is holy, the command is holy, righteousness is and good, but we fall short, and Jesus is our perfection. And this is why when we hear beautiful verses, we need to tie them together, and I'm, I'm giving you a lot of cross-references so you can, you can see the full circle. Because Jesus came on the scene in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law, that the law is like bad. No, I, I came, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. He was sinless. So we don't have to obey it now for life, but we obey it now because of love, because Jesus loved us. He was our perfection. He was our righteousness. The law reveals to us, and it is perfect and it is holy. Like Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. Our lives are blessed now when we follow God's law, his commands. But they don't save us. And so now we have to have this right relationship with the law, these commands, this order. When Jesus tells us to do something, what, why are we doing it? And that's so important because that's the worship. See, we are to follow God's law as Christians. We are to abide in his word, obey him out of worship. And I want to read this whole section and get into this aspect of a great rule for us in the introduction of talking about Sabbath because you as a Christian need to know this. You as a person, whether you believe in Jesus or not, need to know this. See, I don't think anyone would disagree that we shouldn't kill people. Like, can we all agree with that? Great. You're not going to kill me afterwards. Awesome. Thank you. You may be mad. You may be upset. But you're not going to kill me because you know that's probably not a good thing for you to do. Okay? Uh, that's great. I think, I think some of us, we would say, well, obviously, the Ten Commandments, we shouldn't take God's name in vain. Lying, uh, you know, not the, best, not the best habit. But I feel like for us as believers and as us as Americans especially, we've forgotten to observe the fourth law, the Sabbath. In the midst of the context of honoring your mother and father, don't lie, don't commit adultery. These rules that morally, as a, even in a land, we say, you know what, those are good, some good morals. We're going to put some law into that. So if it takes place in our land, we can actually convict. We get a lot of our morals from the Bible. You know that? But it's not right for us to pick and choose. And especially in America, we come and think about moralism and we pick and choose. And we live by law rather than living by a Lord who is Jesus and King. And so what he says goes in this fourth command, we have forgotten, we have missed, we have neglected. Now, some Christians would say, well, we don't, we don't practice the law anymore. That's just legalism. Actually, you're wrong. We do practice the law. Let me explain. Uh, we still tell our kids to honor their parents, don't we? We still believe as Christians that there's sin, there's a right and wrong. Why, why, do, why do we think this? Where, where does that go? See, as Christians, we still practice the law, but it's the moral law of God that we practice. You see, these Ten Commandments weren't the only laws that God gave to the nation of Israel. There's Genesis, Exodus, there's Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Leviticus is a trip, man. You start reading that thing in your reading plan and everyone just gives up because there's actually 613 Levitical laws 
Because it talks about how, how do you live life. This is, this is a civil law to the nation of Israel. This is a ceremonial law. Like what does it mean to be pure and when you sacrifice and all these things. And so as you start reading Leviticus, there's all types of things, including temple worship, washing your hands, sexual relations for being clean, eating habits. Like in the Old Testament, they were told, don't eat shrimp and pig. I know, it's, it's, it's a hard life. I told you sometimes it's hard following God. No bacon. But when Jesus came, he was the ultimate sacrifice. He is our king now. He is the lion and the lamb. He is our Lord. And so what we have done as Christians is say, okay, these laws that was specific for civil and ceremonial sacrifice no longer now apply to us because Jesus is our priest. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. And so we don't look to those laws. That was just a foreshadow, a coming of what Jesus would do. This is deep theology, okay? I'm getting into it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 14, he says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. The people of God would, would, would sacrifice and place their sin and, and by faith on an animal, and the animal would be sacrificed. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But that was just an animal, and that was only a sacrificial thing happening once a year, once every other month, these type of things. And it was to show us we needed something. We needed a sacrifice. Sin is important. And so God himself came down and became that ultimate sacrifice. But we don't have to sacrifice him over and over and over again before he is the perfect lamb of God. Isn't that what John the Baptist said as soon as he saw Jesus? Behold, that is the lamb of God who takes the sin, the way of the sins of the world. And so Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is saying, these priests, they stand daily at their service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he was perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He cried from the cross to Telestai. It is finished. It is a complete work. You don't have to do anything. And actually, if you add to his sacrifice, that is actually legalism because you can't add to anything that's perfect. He is our perfection. And so we are found perfect righteous before God the Father through him. This is why Paul would say, all spiritual blessings are found in Christ. Not in your own efforts, no one could boast. We are saved by grace through faith. When we trust in Jesus, we actually have get, get in a, a great exchange. We receive his righteousness. And so the law is broken into ceremonial, civil law, and moral law. We as Christians no longer need a sacrifice for our sins because Christ paid it all. This is why a Christian can eat shrimp. Can I get an amen? amen? But why is that? Because I don't need to go in the temple. The veil was torn, and guess who's the temple now? I am. The Holy Spirit can dwell in you. God's presence can manifest and be inside of you, and you can have a personal relationship with God Almighty through faith, not because you're amazing. Because this law, these rules, the standard was so high that no one could do, but Jesus came on the scene and he stamped that standard. He stomped it. He said, I am perfection. I, I didn't come to abolish the law. I actually came to fulfill it, to show you my righteousness, to give you confidence that you don't need to do anything. You just need to trust, believe, have faith. We no longer fulfill the civil law or the ceremonial law, but we do practice the moral law. I wrote this down. We still want to obey moral law because it's perfect. It's good. It's holy. It's righteous. But the difference is we don't trust it for our salvation. We obey it because we've already been saved and we worship God through it. Boom. Shakalaka. There's some theology for you. Now, let's get to the Sabbath. Fourth law. God gives us the Sabbath as a gift. God gives us the Sabbath as a gift. The Sabbath is a rule God gave to us. It's a rule. It's a command. It's the Ten Commandments. God tells us something, though, important. He says, remember the Sabbath. The Sabbath had already been established. Look at verses 8 through 11 with me. As we just look at it briefly, break it down. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Holy means to set apart, for it is the Lord. It's a day that is different than others where you focus and delight in God and his grace. Holy this day, I literally can mean dedicated. Holy, set apart. It's dedicated unto the Lord. So the Sabbath is an entire day, a 24-hour period that is holy, set aside, dedicated to the Lord. It's more than just a day off. And it's saying, remember, because the Sabbath has already been established before this law. In verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is with you. The Sabbath is a day not to work. Not to work. Do you get that? Not you, not your mama, not your daddy, not your cousin, not anyone under you. Take a day off. You are not God. You are not in control. Practice that. You can't work it all out. In your life, there has to be a break where you trust and you practice trusting. The Sabbath is a day off, not for you to work, but for you to rest. And rest is life-giving, just like sleep to our bodies. The Sabbath is for us to reset and enjoy the work of the life that we are building Monday through Saturday or whatever those six days are. We are to awake and flourish as, as we rest in God and his grace. In verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, all that is in them, that's recorded in Genesis, that's before the law, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day He gave favor, he gave grace to this specific day that you would practice that you were not God. That's what it's saying. You you wanna have favor, you wanna have grace? Try acting like you're not God and rest. Trust him. Implement that practice and make it holy. This isn't just a part of the 10 commandments, but a rhythm in our creation by the creator. It's more than just a rule, but an important rhythm to our souls that actually causes us to be human. See, my identity is not in my doing, the gospel says, but in my being. I'm a human being. I am made in the image of God, and I practice and remember that on the Sabbath because that's what my God did when he created everything that I know. The six days he met and said it was good. On the seventh day, he rested, enjoyed the grace, everything he made, and he said it is very good. He contemplated, he rested, he trusted, he, he enjoyed what he did. Pete Cizero, Cizero says this, all work, paid and unpaid, it is good, but it needs to be bounded by the practice of Sabbath. The problem with too many leaders is that we allow our work to trespass on every area of our life, disrupting the balance of rhythm of work and rest God created for our good. I'll give you a working definition He says this, Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time in which we stop work, we enjoy rest, we practice delight, and contemplate God. Let me say it again. The Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time in which we stop work, enjoy rest, practice delight, contemplate God. John Mark Comer in his book, which I highly recommend, Garden City, It's a very cool title, but it's about work, rest, and the art of being a human. He says, after six days of the universe sculpting sculpting work, God rested. And in doing so, he built in a rhythm into creation itself. We work for six days and then we rest for one. And this cadence of work and rest is just as vital to to our souls as human beings as food or as water or as sleep or as oxygen. It's mandatory for survival to say nothing of flourishing. If I'm not a machine, I cannot work seven days a week. I am a human. All I can do is, I could work, uh, all I can do is work for six days and then rest for one, just like God, whose image I bear. He goes on in that chapter and he says, the point is there is a way that the creator set up creation to thrive. And when we Sabbath, we tap into God's rhythm for human flourishing. 
But Daniel, we're not under the law. We're not under these rules and regulations. This is legalism. But Jesus' teaching, he came on the scene. And in Mark chapter 2, he said, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. We don't just do all these rules so we can find ourselves. No, the Sabbath, this rule, this, this rule is not a burden. It's love, and it was made for man. So the Son of Man is the Lord even over the Sabbath, Jesus would say. It is a day that we delight in our God and his grace. It's not so much a whole bunch of rules with specific things to follow on that day, but a posture of worship that God gives us for 24 hours to just simply rest in him. We do these things as worship under him, as individuals looking to Jesus. This is why Paul would say in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, Therefore, do not let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food, drink, or in regard of festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath. Don't let people question you whether you do this or do that or whatever. These are the shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This is why the Sabbath is not just a day off. The substance belongs to Christ. This was all foreshadowing a rule, a system, a moral engagement for us to thrive and bless that we would look to God. And guess now where we find our Sabbath, our rest. It's in this person of Jesus. We look to him. We create rhythms in our life to look to him and trust him even with the physical of every seven days. I will look to you and I will delight. I will not do, I will be. I will rest for when I rest, I'm actually strengthened because it takes me a lot of faith to just stop and trust. I am not king. Jesus, you are king. Sabbath. What does it look like for you to stop working? What does it look like for you to enjoy rest or to practice delight and contemplate God? What refreshes you and causes you to enjoy God's grace and to worship Jesus? God wants you to take time and gives you permission to do that. Yes, you have to work. God even gave you gifts to work and sent you on mission to pour out his grace. But it doesn't all rely on you. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of our lives. God wants us to enjoy him. God wants us to remember the Sabbath because it is good and it blesses us just like all of his rules, all of his boundaries, are good. And when you don't practice that, you end up falling off a cliff. You end up not doing what he causes you and says that you'll thrive in. And so I believe that the Sabbath is a restful rule. It's something that we can enjoy. Are we saved by it? No. But then when we practice it, we actually do it out of worship. And we experience God's grace in a way that we may not experience it as if we were just so busy trying to be God ourselves. And so Jesus gives us a rule. He gives us an invitation to obey and to follow him. We started this message in this thinking about Sabbath, and we'll get into next week the practicalities of what that looks like, more scripture about it, but Jesus just wants you to know the invitation today. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We have a beautiful invitation to find salvation in him and him alone. And so may we take that grace and that message today and just go to God and ask him for wisdom to follow his ways. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you're a good God and you invite us to worship you, to love you, to know you. And Lord, you can give this invitation because you died for all of our sins. You love us so much and you bared the weight that we can never bear. Well, you can give us this invitation because you are king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You give us this invitation because you saved by grace. If it was in our own efforts, us trying hard or doing better, we would fail and we would be miserable every time. But God, we want to learn what it means to rest, to Sabbath, to enjoy you, not just, every, not just a one day a week, but every day with all of our lives. Holy Spirit, teach us on this journey as we look at this new rhythm, this rhythm of grace.
For some of us, it may be very hard to trust you, but we know that's how we enter into a relationship. That's how we thrive. And God, I pray, Lord, that we can continue to learn that as believers. I pray, God, that if there's people in this room or listening that are not believers, that have not trusted you even for that rest, for the forgiveness of their sins, that Holy Spirit, you would convict and empower and save. That they would turn to you, that they would hear an invitation from you, Lord, the living King, that they can find rest for their souls, that they can have their sins forgiven, that there is hope in your name. As we're praying and focusing and meditating on the word that we just received, if that's you, if you need salvation, the Bible says that you can confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose again and you will be saved. That he loves all people and he's gracious and he wants to give you salvation, but it's not by your own efforts. It's by trusting in him. And so you can literally right now in your spirit decide, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. The invitation is for all. And salvation is a beautiful gift of grace from God. And so if that's you, I would just invite you as we are about to take communion for you to make a stand and to partake and to invite the Lord into your heart as we sing. Take a step of faith and partake in communion. It's the significance of communion is that we, that we look to God and we proclaim that it's by grace we are saved, that we need Jesus. The, the bread represents his body beaten and broken for us, that we would be healed and the blood shed for our sin. And this may be the first act of you receiving Christ, believing in him, taking that step of faith, saying, yes, Jesus, I want you in my life. I need your grace. I can't do it on my own effort. And so before I give you that invitation for you to walk, if that's you and you need Jesus, you've never received him, I'd love to just pray for you. I don't need to embarrass you. You can take that step. But I, I would love if you're in this room and you don't know the Lord and you want him in your life, can you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? I see you, man. Which in this moment, would you humble yourself? The Bible says he gives grace to those that are humble. I see you. Just to, just to pray. It's just between you and the Lord, but I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for those that are raised their hand, that those that have the posture of worship right now. Lord, we ask that you would save. God, we pray for this moment that it would be a, a moment of salvation for them. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you snatch people from darkness into light that you give us hope and we can walk by faith, not by sight. Holy Spirit, minister and courage as we just close and think about the great sacrifice that you made for all of us, God. May we rejoice. May we respond in grace. May we receive this invitation. Come to your altar, Lord. Come to your goodness, your grace, and worship your holy name. Continue to do the work, God. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.